I'm Corey King of Side Project Brewing, and this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. My guest is Henry Wynn of Monkish Brewing, and he's here for a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. First, please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media at allaboutbeer. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We'll get into the conversation in just a moment, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Falling temps and festive seasons are fast approaching, which means now is a good time to develop holiday stouts and brown ales using hibiscus and cinnamon from First Tea. Looking for other new ideas? You can find out more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. Malt Europe Malting Company is based in North America, specializing in growing and producing quality malts for the craft beer and distilling industries. With local farms and malt houses spread across the United States, Canada, and Mexico, Malt Europe Malting Company's commitment to excellence is fully ingrained into every batch it produces, ensuring breweries and distilleries of any size can create the finest beverages on the planet. Visit malteuropemaltingco.com to learn how Malt Europe Malting Company can support your malting needs. Contact Malt Europe Malting Company at customer success at malteurope.com or dial 844-546-MALT for questions or to place your order. Okay, let's get into it. A bit about my guest today. Henry, Henry Wynn has owned and operated Monkish Brewing with his partner and wife, Adriana, for over 11 years. Monkish is located in Torrance, California, and recently opened a second location in Anaheim, California, and focuses on hoppy and Belgianish beers. Henry, how's it going today? Great. How are Thanks you, for being here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for chatting with me. And and I want to add, you know, that honestly, maybe the most important part of your bio was that you also love saisons and long strolls on the beach while listening to the All About Beer podcast. <laughs> what beach do you like to walk down, my friend? <laughs> oh, you know, we live pretty close to the beach, but I don't know. We're, we're kind of at that point where if you go to the beach, you still have to like make a conscious effort to go. So we okay. kind of are lazy and we often don't go. And then every time we go, we're reminded how, you know, special and unique it is. And so, yeah, we try to go as much as I'll, I'll still, I'll never forget that first. I think the first time I visited you, you guys took yeah. us to the ocean. We went down the beach and I want to say it was in the winter time. Yeah. And so it was a whole, like, I don't know, 60 degrees on the ocean there. And I just come from, you know, Missouri where it was like 30 so we're out there running around t-shirts and you guys are all bundled up like it's the frigid, you know, Northeast. And I just remember like, you guys down here in California are spoiled. What is this 60 degree yeah, weather and you uh, need jackets and well, it's all relative. So today I have a sweater on and it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's like 68 right now. It's going to be 72. So we're hoping it stays below 70. So we keep the sweaters on. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's beautiful here. It's like fully fall time, which is great because it just, makes me think about beer. I don't know about you, but it hits this time of year and it gets the time of year when I actually like, um, I don't know, crave beer more. I bet maybe it's because of the styles we we make or love or or whatever, but it's something about the change of weather. It's like, ah, I don't know if it's football season care. My wife is really big into um, um, college football. She went to a big college school. And so it's like, yeah, just feel like beer time. I don't know what it is, but. Um, yeah, for, for me, it's the opposite. Uh, I 
I hate this time. It's when the days get shorter and you're in the brew house, you're at the brewery and it just, the days just seem to be dragging, you know, just watching it. Cause you're, you're adjusting days are getting shorter and it just becomes that conversation every day. It's like, man, it's really slow today. Or, you yeah. know, you're ready to go home and it's only two o'clock. Um, yeah. I, I, I get pretty moody around this time just because it's the days are short. I miss the long days. I miss coming home from the brewery and still get to garden for a little bit. So I love it. I love it. You sound like the old man that we are. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. so uh, we've known each other for a long time. So yeah, uh, the my best friends in life, I give a hard time to a lot. So if I keep poking at you, that's just anybody listening to just has to know that's, that's what I do for friendship. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but I wanted, I wanted to talk real first, uh, kind of start a little bit. Um, you know, even, you know, here in your bio and just as our conversation just started here, like, you know, having Adriana as your business partner or wife, you know, I share that with you, you know, Karen and I, um, you know, it's been, it's interesting sometimes like when we get to do these things and you're like, man, you maybe are kind of missing out on the the other three quarters of the business, you know, our, our wives, you know, and, and all the stuff that they have to do and, um, and everything. So when, when you, when you guys started this, I mean, when you started, I, I love to even hear more about like the start of Monkish um, kind of again, because I, we all, everybody maybe even listen to like, no, you predominantly for IPA now in today's world, you know, kind of say people know side project for barely stouts. And we started as a sour brewery and we still are sour brewery and you're still making, you know, Belgian ish style beers. But um, when this whole thing started, was it both you and, you know, you and Adriana right at the beginning? Um, uh, how did it go, if you will? Yeah, so 2008, um, I came back to the States from Europe with a PhD in hand in humanities and was trying to get a full-time teaching job. My goal was to be an academic. Uh, primarily, I love researching and writing, so that's what I was going to do. And 2008, economy tanked, and schools just weren't hiring. And so I was teaching at a bunch of um, local universities and seminaries. And um, I think it was like around year three, you know, after the wear and tear of always, um, as a adjunct professor, you're always coming up with new courses, new lectures, you know, you're, you're going from school to school. And so there was always a new, you know, set of notes and lectures and um, course objectives, all that that you had to do every single semester. You didn't really have the luxury of repeating courses as a lot of tenure uh, professors had. So it was a lot of work and it was, it was a grind. I think Adriana felt the fatigue of it. And um, she was like, we need to do something else. And so, um, cause I think at some point I was ju uh, juggling three schools, teaching six different courses and had, um, like three part-time jobs just trying to make sense of life and um was homebrewing around that time and then decided after my first batch i was like oh i think i could do this and so um, yeah so we just kind of moved forward with that and That's great. um i think i only homebrewed about maybe a year before we opened monkish and I was doing it quite a bit, knowing yeah. what was going to happen. And uh, I was only making Belgian beers at home. Um, 
and we opened and it was kind of a a journey since just me and Adriana, mostly me because she had to um, get a full-time job to support us. Yeah. So she was working down the street. We're ne- uh, we were next to Toyota headquarters and uh, Toyota headquarters, national headquarters moved, and, but they were down the street and she got a job at the finance um, uh, department and she was there for, um, for a couple of years before she transitioned full-time. But I mean, even though she worked full-time there, she was here um, the rest of the time. Yeah. So yeah, it was just us working the tasting room, sales, delivery, uh, brewing, anything and everything while having, while having three kids. I, I remember those days. I didn't have three kids at the time, but I remember those days where, you know, it's just like, it's all or nothing. Like this is, we're going to make it or break it. Uh, and, and <clears throat> you know, I will say, I don't know if you felt this way. I love Belgian beer as well. Um, uh, obviously we make sour beer, but as a home brewer, man, Belgian yeast strains are super forgiving as a home brewer. Yeah, I felt that way. You know, like if as a home brewer, if we'd have, if we'd have started as home brewers and be like, I'm going to make, and this is before hazy IPA, but it's like, I'm going to crush hazy IPA at home. That's hard to do. That's really, really, really hard to do where, you know, uh, the forgiveness of a Belgian yeast strain uh, felt like really kickstarted um, maybe my, uh, uh, I don't know, curiosity in brewing because it, because they were coming out decently well. Um, with that yeast strain, uh, you know, the forgiveness of the temperature variations and really the almost lack thereof of temperature control, depending on how sophisticated your homebrew system was, um, uh, and really got me started. Was that dry? Was that a driving factor or was it just your love of beer in Europe as well? Or, yeah, um, so we, we were, we were in Europe and, uh, we lived in England and, uh, Scotland and we're, so we drink a lot of pub beers and they got boring really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so someone introduced me to scotch, especially living in Scotland. And so we fell in love with scotch and then someone introduced me to Belgian beers and I was like, oh, this is a whole different flavor profile, super dry, more effervescent. And I just loved Belgian beers, um, just from that experience. And so I, I just found myself drinking mostly, if not only Belgian beers and, yeah. uh, and scotch. So in some sense, I guess. I've always been uh, an old person, right? Drinking scotch and Belgian beer. So, you know, <laughs> is that every so often I'll pause and like and think about how Belgian beers were so popular when we started. You know, um, yeah. it's amazing that Belgian beers were the thing, just yeah. like saisons were the thing. Yeah. You know, like. Like I get barrel aged beers, I get like a little bit more, I don't know, um, beers that have a certain excitement built in, you know, yeah. they're kind of power packed with, you know, different like, um, like, I don't know, very expressive things. But you get a, you get a Belgian beer, and, and you're like, that was the thing that people are going crazy for. Yeah. It just blows my mind that beer went from that to, you know, adjunct stouts. <laughs> it's the american palate man you know you know how food's just different here compared to even over in europe so you remember no, back i mean no, back when we got into like yeah but even like in america you know like uh the the beer scene belgian beers were so popular oh yeah absolutely um you remember west d12 was like the number yeah. one beer in the world and, but that also had the mystique built in you know you couldn't buy it but from the but you know then like Rochefort 10 was high on the list which you can get in any grocery store you know any place that had beer 
probably you could, you could have gotten it more accessible 10 years ago than you can now because a lot of people don't have actual belgian beer at their places yeah. Yeah. um you know these beers that are one probably two malts and a sugar and a yeast do you know what i mean like some of those like most simple like yeah. straightforward beers and um beautiful though nonetheless because the yeast profiles but uh, yeah those were the big beers of the day just the the belgian beers they were the known as the best beers in the world they did a good job with that you know marketing that and people drank a lot of them um i, I miss those days i do miss those days yeah i i think about you know people talk about the trends and where are we going as a, an industry or whatever and you know, I, I think there's a sentiment that we are moving towards back to a more simpler beer drinking culture days. But I just don't know if I see it like I'm trying to imagine again that people just sit around and drink, you know, Belgian doubles again. I, I don't know. <laughs> there is a there is a nostalgic move for older styles. I think lager um, has shown that, but it hasn't created crazy legs that has refined beer sales or defined beer sales yeah i don't know you know it, we're small enough that I, I when we have small movements i can feel them and so like i have felt more move back towards our sour beers um obviously our lager production but we don't distro you know i'm not getting like data from grocery stores and stuff like that we just sell only our beer here so it's just kind of what we feel internally um yeah. and also internally is our bubble of customers it's not a general group of customers it's not like a whole marketplace because it's not on the grocery store shelf where we're, we're finding people just accidentally grabbing things ours are people that are purposely coming our way so i don't know because you don't do you distro at all or is it just like for fun kind of like here and there and mostly just to yourself it, it all it was mostly for fun i guess if you're talking about events um, yeah or to friends and then it, it became more of like, you know, we're paying a lot for freight. Let's just fill it up a pallet. And mm -hmm. um, and then we also started making a bit more beer. So we started filling up the pallet a bit more. And now we kind of have been exploring um, and figuring out distribution and how it fits into our model. We haven't we haven't figured that out yet, but it but it it will be a part of our business, and I think it's a necessary part of our business. Yeah. I just don't know what it looks like and how much control and strategy we want and um, could have. So yeah, I, and, and when I say yeah, when I say fun on that, it 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 pretty much explains like it's pretty much exactly as you explained. I at least that's what I say. Like we distro for fun. Like we yeah. don't rely on it. We don't rely on it right now. But we want to know if one day we had to what that would look like, you know, and um, we distro to market like, uh, a, OK, California, like once a year, we send a couple pallets because our number three market for our online sales and our Lakota members is California. And it's fun to me to know that I went to a local beer bar in California, had one of our beers in draft, you know, and and when we That's send in the amount of in the amount we're the amount we're sending doesn't move the needle for our company, you know, but it's fun. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. It's not like it's yeah, not sure. like we're gonna, yeah. it's not a make or break. Like oh, if we don't do this, we're in trouble. And if we do this, it makes the whole year. It doesn't do that even close. So and that's why I meant on that um, on the on the fun side, which yeah, is interesting. I, I, yeah. I, I, for us, we're definitely uh, moving beyond fun. 
and we're trying to cool. figure that out. Because uh, yeah. we have we've been fighting for um, direct to consumer for uh, since pandemic, uh, or yeah. since the end of pandemic, and it's been more and more of a challenge to maintain that. And we have even cut back production a bit to have it make sense. But now we're like we're cutting back and we're looking at um, doing some distro and distroing has a place we're just trying to again make sense of it all yeah. and we know that swinging you know we're very um sensitive to our perception as a brand and i, I know distro definitely hurts um different aspects of our or facets of our business so we want to see the give and go and some of these things it's already um you know it's just the stage of where we're at as a business uh we have to keep up with developments like distroing or else um we might lose even relevancy for a brand that should do a little distro yeah. i don't yeah. know it's, it's, it, it, yeah i can go back and forth about this so much and it's something that i try not to think about too much because it just never ends and it spins in my mind way too much these days <laughs> Isn't it funny to think about the things we think about now compared to what we used to think about about five years ago? And actually, it was, you know, one of the notes that I had written down was just, um, I feel like five years ago, we were all talking about the next hop, how we adjuncted something, what's the new thing. <laughs> yeah. It was all about production and production and production and creativity and creativity. You know, now it's more of like um, more an internal battle with all of ourselves. Like, what do we want to do with this? You know, where do we want to be? What, what, what makes sense for our time? You know, where, you know, yeah. are, like, do festivals make sense? You know, does travel make sense? Um, and and that's interesting. That's interesting. So yeah. you, you think, um, you think that, so do you think some distribution still could hurt the brand? Um, do you, do you find, because I look at it as our, our core consumer is the same consumer we had 10 years ago. They're growing with us. We're older. We now have different jobs, more professional jobs, families. Um, you know, we're not going to jump in a card for a beer release and drive five hours. So for that core group, they wouldn't mind the fact to be able to get it because they, they are, yeah. they are all in on side projects. And, um, um, and then we were and we're glad because that's who I am as a consumer now. Um, so do you feel that your consumer base, you're still getting some of the newer consumers in or is your consumer growing with the brand? that you've always had and are expecting to pick up your beer at the local beer store as opposed to driving in and waiting line for it. Yeah, I'm not sure who our core brand uh, or core group is these days. Yeah. Um, I think there was a lot of people that caught on to our brand for, um, I don't know, their personal advantages for trading and things like that. And um that at some point clouded a lot of our um our I, I guess consumer base and our followers. They and so it actually in those moments, I think we lost some of our core people because of all the noise. And I think some are back and some have moved on. Uh there were a a, a large group of our core that have gotten older and have gotten maybe out of beer or found their peace with alcohol. Uh mm -hmm. people drinking a lot less i'm not sure if it's also being in la things are just very fickle here people move on to different trends people caught on the trend of 
uh, of monkish in a uh, certain beer culture for a while. And so um, we, we do have a lot of um, old timers, a lot of regulars, but we definitely have moved towards a, um, a, a different demographic, whether if, if you were like kind of, you could say like we at some point were probably all tier one beer nerds, right? And then we moved towards a tier two that was trying to get into the culture of a tier one. And then, um, you know, tier ones just moved on to the next cool kid mm -hmm. or something like that. Anyway, it's just, it's always this shift and um, we're cognizant of the amount of beer we want to make and be able to sustain, um, we definitely need um, newer and also uh, make ourselves a little more accessible to others these days. And, and and what that means, I don't know whether it's more yeah. tasting room and and you know joining a certain community and and making the access a little easier. You know, like sometimes we look at um, um, Los Angeles because located in Torrance, California, we're in a very bad traffic area and it's not even like cool part of LA or anything like that. And so to, uh, for people to get to Torrance, it was always a trek. It was always okay. fighting against traffic. And so having Anaheim, uh, in Southern California, uh, in Orange County, more to the South allowed people from the Southern part of Southern California, easier access. And we wonder about, whether we need to have an access point up north in LA somewhere. Yeah. Just to, at some point, no one, people are going to make that drive less and less. And yeah. like, you know, we sell, um, th you know, anywhere from three to six different beers a week. Um, we know that people are just going to say, well, I'm going to wait till the next uh, beer. And they look at it and they're like, do I really want to make the drive? And then at some point, it just becomes this like um, complacency on the consumer part to not even make the drive because of traffic and they have every good intentions, but it, there's just, you know, it's more of an obstacle. So we're yeah. just trying to, how do we reduce obstacle, try to get to people. So when you're saying accessibility, you mentioned earlier about direct to consumer. So you say you've been fighting for that for a while now, correct me if I'm wrong, like California, I believe allows you to direct to ship, direct to consumer ship all over the state. Are you talking about other states as well or um, what direct to consumer shipping or direct to consumer fighting have you been, you, you working on? Oh yeah, we're just trying to, just trying to maintain sales. Just trying yeah. to maintain sales, gotcha. You know, um, we, we notice as a, an IPA a heavy brewery, like this is where most of our volume um, uh, is made. Um, volume is important to us um mm -hmm. and so the consumers are buying maybe you could say a four pack less every you know mm -hmm. quarter or something like that just people are just like spending a lot less and just watching people's um spending habits and we're just noticing there is a change there's a change in our um there's a change in my personal um spending habits yeah. and i know consumers that are making that conscious choice, whether to buy a case of beer or a four pack, mm -hmm. or just come and have a beer with a friend at the tasting room instead of buying to go and drinking at home. You know, these are all the yeah. things we do notice. I am jealous that you guys can direct to ship direct to consumer ship in California because we can't even do that in Missouri technically legally. 
Um, they they said it's something they'll look the other way, but that's always weird. But uh, it would be nice if we all had the opportunity that wineries have because Monkish has such a strong name globally. So definitely domestically that if you could track ship to probably the United States, you would probably meet any volume goals you want. I really wish that that's something. And, and I keep hearing rumblings. I've been hearing rumblings for three years, you know, that direct to consumer shipping for breweries is one day going to change. But um, that would be a, a game changer. I think in our lifetimes, if that happened for um, where there will always be craft breweries that are down the street from you, that you'll always go to because they're close, they're accessible, the beer's good. It's fun to be there. You'll see people, you know, and then there's also that second tier where it's like, I just want a monkish IPA today. And that's because that's how I buy wine. You know, I can go down to the local wine store, but there's some of my wineries that I love that I visited, you know, when I do travel that I fall in love with when I'm there. And so sometimes I splurge and just buy from them. You know, like I'll buy a case a year, you know, from these places. And that'd be really cool if we could all see that. And I wonder in the long and now we're talking about two different things here a little bit because you make IPA predominantly, you know, that's very perishable where I'm making sours and stouts and I'm like, go ahead, ship them. You know what I mean? Like those things will hold up really well. But yeah, when you mentioned that direct consumer shipping, I was like, I wondered if there was more going on in that story there than what we have here. Well, but, um, but even shipping, we don't ship bottles. I would be afraid to ship bottles because of all the shipping problems that we always have, mispackages, misdeliveries, and damage. You know, I, I, I wonder if I ever would consider uh, shipping expense bottles. Like we're actually been um, um, in the process of, we're probably going to shift towards using UPS It'll be a little more expensive, but we just need a little something more reliable than uh, what interesting. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And then I look at you know wineries and they ship only expensive bottles. So it's like yeah. if they could do it, I know we could. You know, like oh. we get them in. You're like, yeah. house is built. Like check out these cool boxes. Yeah. It's a box inside a box inside a box, and um, going that way. So, but um, real quick, we're going to take a, a quick short break for a message uh, for this message and come right back with more of this conversation with Henry Wynn of Monkish Brewing. Malt Europe Malting Company is based in North America, specializing in growing and producing quality malts for the craft beer and distilling industries with local farms and malt houses spread across the United States, Canada and Mexico. Malt Europe Malting Company's commitment to excellence is fully ingrained into every batch it produces, ensuring breweries and distilleries of any size can create the finest beverages on the planet. Visit malteuropemaltingco.com to learn how Malt Europe Malting Company can support your malting needs. Contact Malt Europe Malting Company at customer success at malteurope.com or dial 844-546-MALT for questions or to place your order. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. First Tea has ginger for the gingerbread stout, or try a porter or brown ale with ginger, vanilla, and cinnamon. Looking for other seasonal ideas? You can find out more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Welcome back. I'm back here with Henry Wynn from Monkish Brewing. Uh, so, Henry, uh, yeah. so how much time do you spend at Monkish now uh, focusing on creativity? It oh, was- 100%. It's like... 
you know, you just interrupted my fifth creativity session of the day. Uh, we well, you <laughs> I will, just had to throw that out there. Wanna, but, yeah. yeah. You know, I just how much do you actually spend? Are you dreaming of the next derivation? Like how important is that to you? Or you yeah. put so much work into a building of a brand that it can maintain itself for a while that you can back off and maybe it's not even needed. Yeah. So um I I still devote a ton of time for that. I I think because a lot of the things um, I've been able to bring in awesome people to help with where that aspect is still tough because the side project stuff is about 80% of our production. So where you, where the side project cans are, you know, the IPLR or stuff like that. That's where Tommy drew and the crew really kind of spearhead a lot of that. So like right behind me, I, you know, this isn't filmed um, for everybody to see, but we have like an action board. And so I've got, I bet there's 30 beers listed up here to come if you will. Um, and so that's, side projects has always been interesting where it was the brand is side project, not the individual beers. Um, now we have a couple beers to stand out beer barrel time derivation series, you know, pulling nails, um, our white labels as people call them, our little saisons. But overall, you know, um, the brand side project and, and, and things are changing. Like you mentioned where our consumers, are, um, sometimes you just want to have something the old familiar. And so we're trying to do both. You know, we have the old familiar, like here, just come in and have a grisette or a lager beer, but we still do new things. And, we all, you probably included, when we got into home brewing, it wasn't to master one recipe and do it over and over and over again and be like, this is the, we got into brew new things all the time and still play around. And so being that, you know, people don't know this, that I'm probably what a quarter of your size, you know, maybe 20% your size. Um, we only make a thousand beer, barrels of beer a year that a lot of our focus is still on um, the blending and creativity side uh, for better or worse. I don't know, you know, cause I can't continue to do that forever. You know, as we talk, like our kids getting older and the business gets older and we get older and um, it's hard to hand off. So like, so where, where do you see you guys, like you guys, now, I know you guys make a million different IPs. Are you always doing new ones? Or are you revisiting a lot of ones? When you're Belgian side beers, do you have core Belgian beers or are you always playing with that? And, and is it only you or is there other people that you trust and, and, and trust enough to be like, go for it? Like, I like this. Let's go with this idea. I, uh, in general, most beers still fall under my purview and, uh, not these days by, um, by choice, but probably more of just, maybe I just created a culture that it just happens to be, it falls on my lap. Um, mm -hmm. I, I wish it didn't, I wish, you know, that it can just kind of, um, yeah, happen a little Go. more. Freer. yeah but it, but it is it is tough it's a challenge but at the end of the day some would say that i would probably prefer it that way i'm like yeah maybe five six years ago i would but i you know we, we are getting older um i don't like want to sit around and think about beer names all the time or yeah like that. you know like there, there even came a point where every date code message mattered to me yeah, because you know, it was a yeah. thoughtful thing. People were reposting it, and I'm like, all right, this is a cultural point of our brand. I don't want to lose that cultural thing that people caught on, or it made it a thing. And so we were like secretly communicating with our uh, a, a consumer base that saw it. Yep. And so some sometimes we would put a message, they would just respond back to us on social media. It was kind of like a cool little you know Easter egg thing or whatever. Um, 
I don't want to think about that anymore. My team once in a while gets writer's block and they want to ask me. I'm like, never ask me that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's just uh, like I, I'm struggling with beer names these days. And, you know, I'm starting yeah. to get to that point uh, when it comes to developing new beers. Um, that one's a little trickier because there's still a, an end product that I would like to see and um maybe i i've been doing this so much that i realize that i can't ever get there it's, it's become more and more that i will always dream of a beer and that you know perfect profile and i know that i'm always gonna be there while before i just fought so hard to get closer and closer and maybe, maybe i'm just okay with it um mm -hmm. so there could be a um that self-motivating hurdle that I have uh, posed. Um, but we do spend a lot of time on hops uh, still. Just came back from hop selection and- um, Awesome. You know, just thinking about whether it's um, making sure we got the right citra this year, learned a lot from the citra that we selected last year. And so we selected citra a little differently this year. We've been having problems with Galaxy for quite a few years. Uh, not many people know, but we were using the same lot of Galaxy for three, four years because it was the best one that we could. Uh, mm -hmm. We couldn't find anything that was better than that because it was uh, it wasn't looking so good. And so, you know, this year we spent some time trying to find a good Galaxy um, and just trying to um, revive some brand. We uh, revive some brands. Um, make some beers that we haven't made in a while and mm -hmm. some of our hoppy beers have not been as exciting because of our limitation of uh just not having good galaxy um uh -huh. yeah so it's been spending a lot of time trying to develop new beers looking at um you know just revisiting certain things like our boil time we've been exploring um just yeah just changing some stout here and there so yeah we, we're we're just trying to improve and make things better, not necessarily looking for the new thing. So obviously, you know, we started, you are monkish. And so you started making Belgian style beers for anybody that hasn't heard the story. Like, let's yeah. talk about, you know, hazy IPA. Um, not only is it a huge category for our industry, but um, you're very, very well known for making these very, very well. I mean, I still remember the first time I had one of your hazy IPAs. It was in Louisville at the Shelton Fest. Yep. And I was just like, what the hell is this, Henry? Like, let's talk. You know what I mean? Without yep, diversion. Like, and I, we didn't I know remember, each other that well. Yeah. yeah I, we didn't I remember know that, that well. moment. Um, I also, I think what you expressed was what I felt when I was making it. It's like, this is unreal. You know, yeah. this flavor profile that you can get. And yeah. and I, I wasn't digging IPs at that moment. And even the ones that came before you, you know, they never hit me the same way. And and I just remember having that and going, okay, so so obviously that was a big turning point for your breed to kind of more focus, can I say, on IPA? Uh yes, we weren't making that was our first IPA. That was it. It was awesome. So that's that's where like even for us as a um a branding marketing thing. We don't use the term hazy to refer to our beer because that's the IPA. When you, if it just says IPA, it's a monkish IPA. So it's a hazy IPA. 
Um, mm -hmm. We will use West Coast or whatever cold IPA to uh, differentiate and label anything that is not a monkish IPA. Um, but yeah, so that's the only IPA that we were making. And yeah, yeah so right off the bat, first IPA monkish ever made, I think it was like year four or five, um, was a hazy IPA and it was a canned offering and a collab with other half. So that first release yeah. kind of <clears throat> just, I don't know, the stars were aligned when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. It, Do you remember, what was the name of it? What was the name of uh, it? It was First Things First. First Things First. Okay. We knew, yeah, we, just... gonna, we, knew we were going to make an IPA. Um, and it just, uh, we were just fighting into the story of not making it. And then yeah. I drank um, like Treehouse and Trillium and I was kind of blown away like that experience you had. And I was like, I think this is the IPA we're going to make. And so, um, you know, but I'm, I'm, I don't really ask people for a lot of things. And so I was in homebrew forums and just figuring yeah. out how the clones of like, you know, Treehouse and Trilliums and, yeah. Yeah. and, and I just started nailing down to, okay, this is how we're going to approach it. I think we need this. I think we need this. So we just went for it and we did four or five draft batches without telling anyone that we were now making um, IPAs. We just put hoppy beer basically on and people assumed they were Belgian beers because, you know, the it comes off of yeah. very fruity, estuary. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. yeah, so we did that. And then um, we decided that we were going to can. Um, yeah. And then other half was in town. We were making... Um, a sour beer actually yeah. and, and <laughs> i told them what i was the other half monkish sour beer collab like yeah like i would <laughs> we did three of them and that's yeah. how we we became friends and and um i told them what i was gonna do and they're like well why don't you just make a collab with us and then just can yeah. that instead and i was like <laughs> well i guess yeah i guess i should so we decided to shift the IPA that I was going to can uh, into a, a collab with them. And so That's that kind of, cool. yeah, that kind of snowballed for us. Yeah, just a little bit, I'd say. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, and, and, and I get it. Like it's, I, I had that beer and, you know, I, the IPAs were just absolutely crushing it. And it's funny because, you know, IPAs did really well before we were homebrewers. You know, IPA was a popular category, but just so different compared to what, the second wave of IPA was and is today still. And I'm sitting over here going, I only make barrel aged beers. I'm like, I guess I don't have to mess with this whole program. I'll just stay away from this hazy IPA yeah. thing for a while. And you guys are all starting to crush these things. But, uh, but yeah, I just remember having yours and, uh, and, and because of that, you know, we've worked on some collabs together too. And we've done, you know, a couple sour collabs we've done. Um, uh, actually our highest rated, I believe IPA is our collab with you called uh, snowy window. Which, you know, we had Henry and Adriana out to brew with us. And of course, uh, the Southern California kids show up and we get eight inches of snow. And we walked all over Maplewood in the snow that, that day. And, see a few uh, snowy windows. Yeah. Absolutely. And to this day, still the only time I've been to that White Castle. We have a White Castle like across the street from Marbury. And I've been wow. staring at it for, I've been staring <laughs> at it for about nine years. And I've never been there but one time. And it was Henry and Adriana. Wow. I probably won't go back until you guys are in town again. We'll have to, uh, 
<laughs> oh, someone took it, but I have my uh, White Castle mug that I bought from there. The <laughs> <laughs> Which turned into our collab as well, our sour collab, <laughs> Castle Walk. Our, our Castle Walk collab, my friend, so, um, which was great. So, um, so where do you, I mean, where do you, where do you see things going? I guess, so I guess that's ask, like, do you, do you see things for Monkish progressing more on what's next for beer? Do you see it progressing more on what you want to do as a business? Do you see it progressing on as we're happy, you know, let's maintain, um, yeah. you know, what, where are you, I guess it's almost in life and in business for Monkish. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's very tough to answer. There are days I am happy. I would be happy not doing this anymore. Um, mm -hmm. There are days I can see doing this, you know, for the rest of my life. Um, I guess what I don't want these days is for Monkish to define me as a person, and it's been mm -hmm. a a hard road to get to this point. I mean, like. Um, I know things were always kind of chaotic, exhausting, and you just went with this. You just know the momentum that was needed for you to build a brand and um, do what you were hoping to do. And so we would just put all of our energy into making beers the way we wanted to make them. Uh, you know, we, we went through seasons of thinking that the next batch of beer, if it's not good enough could tank the whole business and feeling that anxiety like this could be the beer that breaks us you know mm -hmm. loses the momentum and um there was a lot of days like that and um it was tough it was, it was really tough and I, I know it was tough for me personally but i just kept you know doing it but it was tough for adriana it was tough for kids um and i think at some point i just knew um something needed to change without ever seeing the possibility of things changing and i think pandemic really forced that yeah to happen so um, yeah yeah i was so, asked about that like how that happened like i mean how did how did the covid shutdown like did, did that momentum switch like was it something i i think for some of us like that dramatic mix up in our lives and our businesses was uh uh, almost a reset that kind of was spurred on sooner rather than later that like on one hand obviously it's a terrible time you know people there's no job with COVID but man that that change that quick flip of a switch change for some of us and make made us like pull back in refocus um you know reevaluate um the the awesome people that we have working with us you know and, and giving them better roles and in because we were all just running so rampant and fast so hard because the wave was moving so quickly i feel that that uh slowed us down a bit you know man the resetting of festivals and travel was really needed and nice you know um so what i mean did did your releases change pre slash post covid you know i mean you guys probably moved online sales more like what what I, I mean, did it help you recenter a little bit at all before COVID, we, before COVID, we noticed that um, beer like became not as exciting as it was. I mean, it peaked pretty heavy in uh, like maybe two years before COVID, and it started okay. and it started kind of tailing down. And um, we would still have crazy lines, but we could tell it it was a little different. Mm -hmm. And so each week, we were just noticing, you know, a handful of people less and less. Uh, or people kind of figure out a system that didn't 
wreck their lives. They could have a normal life while still coming to the tail end of the line or coming an hour or two later. They kind of figured out a better rather than dropping what they did and go stand in line. Yeah. Or, or whatever. And so we kind of noticed that. And then COVID um, came about and uh, took uh, that month of or a few weeks of adjusting that no one knew what was going on. People weren't buying beer. And then all of a sudden, everyone was set into shutdown. And that yeah. was nuts for us. We were yeah. just so much beer. Um, we increased our production, I think, twofold during uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. We just bought some large tanks, you know, got a good deal because it was COVID. And mm-hmm. we were just, uh, it was pretty intense like um, the amount of sell through and it happened. And then the um, once restrictions got lifted, things kind of um, quieted down a bit. And I, and I think we've been kind of figuring out how things are settling still. Yeah. From that. I agree with that. I don't feel like anything's settled yet. We still, I don't have a good groove like we did pre COVID. Like we had, we had a groove that we knew we were in whatever. And now we're just kind of, it's interesting to say the least, but yeah, I, I feel like once the once the restrictions were lifted and people realized that not every night is Friday night, and they had to actually show up to places and not drink so much the night before, um, <laughs> it really changed some things. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think a lot of what we've talked about with business and everything is is still a, a tail end. You know, people always talked about how after you know, their COVID experience, I think I'm still. Uh, like affected by it like who i am definitely was changed during that moment um mm-hmm. on my phone a lot less like i remember always feeling the need to check in with all my brewer friends and when somebody emailed i try to respond back and just always having conversation and now i just keep my phone off or hey mm-hmm. i went on my phone to do to like read up on something and i see text messages come in i'm like that's not what I'm on my phone for. So mm-hmm. do what I got to do because I should probably go hang out with Adrienne and be a little more present or things like that, you know? And and so um, I, I am a lot different and I think Monkish is a lot different because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are a, um, I think we're a better business. Um, and I think I, you know, I really enjoy our our team and staff now it's uh it's a good team it's kind of awesome. kind of drama free these days it's kind of nice well that's uh, fantastic <laughs> <laughs> oh that's lovely there's, there's always um you know um ebbs and flows always undulates yeah. through personalities yeah. of the team and business demands and stress problems but you know we're we're in a place trying to figure out what's next and i don't know uh we have kids that are uh one graduated from college One's a junior in college and one is now a freshman in high school. So we feel the necessity to maintain it for sure longer um, just because, you know, we have a kid's going to start college, you know, um, in a few years. So we should probably, but, and also create an opportunity for them to see if they want it to continue Mm -hmm. it or not. But yes, Mm -hmm. but Adrian and I, think about it and talk about it is like you know are we okay with you know moving on from this grind it's fun yeah and then and then then what does that look like we don't know um 
but you know, yeah, but we're trying to make, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to stay um, relevant to myself, relevant to the company and also relevant to the industry. I feel like a lot of people, I feel like a lot of us that started around the same time and, and have breweries of this size and, and larger, more friends have some huge breweries now, yeah. but we're all pretty motivated, driven people. And the idea of not having this is like, well, what would I do? Do you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a whole other scary thought of the, even though this has been a different kind of grind the last couple of years compared to the first grind, the previous, you know, years before COVID. Um, yeah. There's, there's days you're like this, maybe we were all just too busy, but pre COVID it was just like this wave that was so fun to ride maybe. But at the same time I had, my kids were much younger. My kids are much younger than yours. And so COVID was like that, a growth phase for them too, since they are minor, you know, yeah. five and almost seven. Um, it is a little bit different than that. But with that being said, like moving forward, um, um, I want to talk about your barrel program, it's your stouts and stuff, because maybe we can just go ahead and formulate the first ever collab during a podcast, uh, or at least all about beer podcast. I don't know, because you and I, if you don't remember, so that, that time you were in town for Snowy Window, I do believe that was also when we brewed stout. And so last time we were together, I still have a couple barrels of our stout uh, resting, you know, and we've talked about how, you know, what we wanted to do with it. But I also want to talk about, are you still doing barely stouts? You know, barley wine is there. I mean, you know, you're known for IPA. Um, you know, we all, maybe I'm just out of the loop, but I, I'm, I used to be more in the loop with every brewery in, in the country about what they're releasing. And I don't even know, Henry, what you're releasing right now. I'm not going to lie. You know, like we've all have a quieter lifestyle, like you said, um, with stuff. So, are you still, do you still have a barrel program? You're still doing South Barley Wine Splash? You know, we have our own collab that either we need to talk about soon about what, um, you know, adjuncts we want to use or, or what approach we want to take to it. Because I know, like you said, all the adjuncts and stuff have been the raise, you know, the, the, the craze for so long where sometimes we are trying to revert back to other things. Um, tell me about your barrel program. Um, it's still there. I just walked by it uh, earlier mm -hmm. this morning. Um, I guess it's kind of like a reflection of like where I'm at again, you know, it's like, there's this mm -hmm. continuous theme that I, I see like threaded throughout our business and, uh, barrel aged out is one of them. I know people are expecting us to release it, but we haven't released a barrel aged out for almost two years now. Right. Okay. So they're just sitting in barrels. We occasionally fill them, but I told myself I'm not going to uh, keep filling barrels unless I empty out some barrels. And so I just need to find the motivation to um, get back there. I, I I think it's like this. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if people like other artists or people from other fields struggle with this block that keeps you from wanting to do it um i don't know if it's the stress and anxiety of me just like gonna just keep chasing and chasing through all the barrels and you know like the like my thoughts when it comes to the brewery now is kind of um contained mm -hmm. in a certain amount of thoughts like there's only a certain amount of amperage you know, you can get from like Henry, like monkish out of my mind, out of my conversation with Adriana. And so to load it with 
things that matter to us, whether like I think for us barrel aged stouts do matter to us. Um, I just don't want to like go into that realm where I'm going to have to have a lot more angst right now. Like, like I'm not ready. Like this is not the year for me to, you know, go back into it. So I've been trying to talk myself and motivate myself to like, all right, you're going to go do it this week. Holidays are coming up. This is the month. This is the week. <laughs> I, I don't know like what it is to keep me from doing some of the things like, like we have a number of warehouses too. And all the barrels are in one of the newer warehouses. And we have two warehouses that we don't really do anything with them because one was supposed to be a new tasting room with the kitchen. It was going to be a, an elaborate build out. Um, I wanted to do like, I, I love yakitori. I wanted to do a little pop-up within my own tasting room, and yeah. do special yakitori nights and things like that. But I'm like, that started giving me anxiety of having to like, think about, you know, excellence when it comes to yeah. check, you know, yeah. you know, and things like that. And so I was like, no, I've always wanted a roast coffee. Same thing. I've got quotes for all these, this roasting equipment over the years. And I don't pull the trigger on it because before I would now it's hard for me to, because I don't want to, get into that grind that takes away from my humanity anymore, you know, like make me into a, a unlivable person, you know, with, you know, for Adriana. So I, I don't know if stouts are, are like that. It's still there. It's something I I've been thinking about more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, no, and I, I, feel you. And I, feel I you. know that when I do, I'll probably just start going through it like and just keep that momentum. It'll be in my headspace, all the barrels. I'll remember each barrels and, and the profile. I'm like, all right, I got plans for all of these. Um, but yeah, like that, um, the blend we did for don't drink beer. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't, t- I didn't taste a barrel for quite a while. And so when it was choose your oldest, you know, barley wine, I'm like, Oh, and so <laughs> I went, I tasted it, and I was like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> and to the point where I'm like, I don't want to send this barrel. It's such a good barrel. Yeah. yeah. I started tasting all the other ones. I'm like, all right, I need to do something with this. So I, yeah. I, like, again, it's like, I'm starting to, yeah. I don't know. It's, it is something that I, I've enjoyed. I've always found a lot of inspiration from what you do. I, I loved going to your tasting room. And seeing your demographic of your of your clientele and how they're just like older, mature people drinking stouts because it's like, you know, it's like drinking bourbon for them. So, you know, and, yeah, you know, we're in the Midwest. Like, we have cold weather here. It, it kind of fits. Yeah. It, <laughs> you know, like I then, you know, I, I do notice when we have it, we get a different clientele. Um, we do get some more older, maybe uh, sophisticated, stuffier business people that come by. And I think they, you know, they treat it as some, like um, more of a luxury item uh, mm-hmm. or something. But it's, it, I don't know, it's it's a cool thing. And, and I always tell my team is like, you know, 
like what we try to do with our um, barrels, it's, you know, it's a sophisticated drink. We don't adjunct stuff to make it like um, a childhood, like memories. Yes. Like, so yeah. we could be kids again. We create a drink that you would actually order as an adult after a very nice meal in liquid form or something like mm -hmm. that. You know, it's a different mindset than, um, you know, childish pastry stouts, you know, like sometimes mm -hmm. get uh, equated or easily boxed into. So yeah, it's something we're pretty excited about still and hope that more will come out soon. So yeah. No, I get you on that. It's uh, obviously, you know, stouts, barley wines and sour beers like our core, but there's parts, there's aspects of the, the of, of beer that, you know, if I don't find myself craving them, then it's hard to get motivated to brew them or mess with them again, you know? And um, I still crave, I have a sweet tooth, like no other, so I still crave yeah. these stouts and, and, and have for a long, long time, but I get you like there's, it's, but when you dive into them, you want to make sure they're like perfect. And that's, that's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's, it's, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like that's why I, maybe we don't even explore. I used to explore like every fruit I could ever get my hands yeah. on, you know, oh, yeah. going by the way that like every fruit I get my hands on, I explore these fruits. And, you know, over the years you start finding them that just don't work and you're kind of like, man, I can't, I don't have the brain space to, to source this fruit from a farm, from, you know, somebody and then process it and figure out which barrels or tank we're going to use. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out and not perfect, you're just like, well, that was a lot of brain space that I, that I didn't realize I didn't have anymore, you know, that I, that I did have, you know, six yeah. years ago. But, you, but yeah. you know, like, so we bought a house, our first um, home, maybe like four, five years ago. And then it took us, we remodeled during, before we moved in during COVID. And I spent a lot of time, became like a little project of mine. I just read everything about architecture, got mm -hmm. heavy into design and just took up my mental space. And I enjoyed it. Um mm -hmm. You know, like the energy you have towards beer can easily be transformed to any other industry or any other art form. Um, and so it's hard when you get older and now you want to create more hobby space for yourself to allow beer to come back and rob you of that joy. Because so, you know, you kind of you're you're kind of stuck. And so either we have to give, like, I have to give up, maybe stop thinking about hops and thinking about, you know, stouts again or something like that. It's kind of how I, I feel. So I'm trying to figure out this balance between the two. Like if I shut down hoppy production for a moment, do stouts, maybe that would get me into a better mindset. Yeah. But I think we all um, are realizing our, what is the proper, like, like, balance or whatever you want to use of uh, how much room we're allowing ourselves to um to be present in yeah in, in life whether it's I think you, you know exactly yeah i think you said that really well like uh that's that's you know five six years ago my the hobby space in my brain and the professional space in my brain was only beer and now there's no longer the hobby space for the beer. Do you know what I mean? So like, I, that's why I'm not diving into these exotic, like weird exotic fruits. Cause that would be more of the hobby space. Cause yeah. on the professional side, they don't make sense anymore, you know, cause they're, they're too experimental and we have 35 employees in the, in the, and a lot more things going on. And so that's a great way to put it. Like the hobby space of your brain. And then the professional side where beer, beer started 
for me as a hobby and then turning it and it got to, it got to encompass all of the hobby and all of the professional space for a long time. And maybe that's why it, it kept all, maybe that's why we all are where we are now today, but it's definitely different when we start looking at these projects um, well, and have to look at a different mindset. It's like when I go to hop selection now this year, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to go in I'm like, I've been doing this for a while. Um, I know what I'm looking for. I should just go in and just do it rather than going in there and have a ro like a romantic time of, I want to select everything. Everything should be accessible to me. I want to rub everything. I want to revisit all these different things. And this time I just came in, just kind of gave it like a few rubs and just was able to make a quick decision and, and do it firm. And I think that the hobby like space doesn't need to be overwhelmed with a lot of the, I don't know, stuff that doesn't make it uh, viable as business owners, as brewers with a lot of um, responsibility to ensure good quality beer. Just mm -hmm. come in. I know what we want out of our IPAs and I know the, by now I should know the variables involved, you know, stouts, I should know the variables involved to so just mm -hmm. go in and do it rather than complicating a lot of things of uh, crap, you know, crazy rabbit holes to go, you know, down. So well, um, before we wrap it up, is there anything you want to add, Henry? I mean, I, I could sit here and chat with you. That was already an hour and that went by fast. So I could sit here and chat with you for much, much longer about all things life. But not everybody probably wants to listen to those things. So um, if there's anything you want to add, go for it. What do you think? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have anything to add. I, I, yeah, I put I you could, on the spot. I could just keep talking about anything related. You know, like... Uh, I think people, I don't know, being a brewer is kind of uh, an odd profession, lifestyle. Like I, I try to talk to my brewers a lot. You know, it's like I spend a lot of time doing a lot of maintenance. I enjoy doing brewery maintenance often, um, but it's always related to the beer. I live, eat, and breathe beer, even without having to drink it or, you know, be consumed, mm -hmm. but it is in my blood. Um, I do love it. Everything I talk about, whether it's uh, business um, decisions like distro, whatever, it's not so much the business side. It's just all about beer. Like if I could call it a day, I would just distro everything. And but I know that it does. It's not. Uh, there's a cultural component because I get to connect to consumers to real life human being through the medium of beer they feel connected to a story you know their their lives are better they like one of the things that i've always loved about our you know about monkish is how we have a consumer base that have found a space for themselves and they create their own um like monkish is not what i create or adriana creates it's oftentimes what people create the things that people do with our brand is pretty remarkable sometimes sometimes mm -hmm. bad but there's some really beautiful things that people have done and i'm you know um so because of that i always feel responsible to have a um a good business making good beers and yeah it's having a good identity that people continue to be um proud of and and along the way, it's nice to meet great human beings like you and people don't know. Uh, Corey is probably one of the uh, 
um, genuinely nicest person, whatever superlatives we could use. Um, yeah, there is out there. So thanks for um, asking me to do this and definitely appreciate it. So well put. Uh, thank you, my friend. Um, the best part of this industry is meeting people like yourself and, and Adriana and all the worldly worldly travels we got to do together uh, in the past. And uh, those have definitely slowed down. But in the future, you know, we, we tend to only visit places we know that our friends are going to be at, you know, and as we look forward and, and move our businesses and breweries in a new direction, that's uh, uh, it's people like yourselves and in, in, in this whole industry that, that keeps us going and, and keep it really fun and really a lifestyle thing that uh, we are also lucky to be part of. But uh, Henry, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's been, been a blast to chat with, catch up with. Um, Henry will be back on the next episode of this show as the host, having a conversation with a brewer of his choosing. That will be on the air in two weeks. So make sure you tune in for that. Um, visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Corey King of Side Project Brewing. Thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Falling temps and festive seasons are fast approaching, which means now is a good time to develop holiday stouts and brown ales using hibiscus and cinnamon from First Tea. Looking for other new ideas? You can find out more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. Malt Europe Malting Company is based in North America, specializing in growing and producing quality malts for the craft beer and distilling industries. With local farms and malt houses spread across the United States, Canada, and Mexico, Malt Europe Malting Company's commitment to excellence is fully ingrained into every batch it produces, ensuring breweries and distilleries of any size can create the finest beverages on the planet. Visit malteuropemaltingco.com to learn how Malt Europe Malting Company can support your malting needs. Contact Malt Europe Malting Company at customer success at malteurope.com or dial 844-546-MALT for questions or to place your order.